majority of Americans are employed by small businesses. It's not just the fact that it's a business that exists for you to shop at. It's keeping you, your family member, your neighbors employed. Oftentimes, like the main street entrepreneur, the mom and pop shop, the family run establishment is kind of left behind when it comes to resources and press and even glory, right? And these are businesses that at Better Business Bureau, we've always known are essential. You're listening to Made Here, a podcast about what it means to be an underserved entrepreneur in America and what it takes to turn a small business idea into reality. I'm your host, Stacey Klein. entrepreneurs who overcome barriers, and there are those who help on that journey. This interview is about the latter. It's about the importance of the change makers and the ecosystem builders who are working tirelessly towards building a culture of inclusive entrepreneurship. In today's episode, we're excited to learn from Kimberly Rowland, Director of Innovation and Entrepreneur Programs at Better Business Bureau serving the Pacific Southwest. Better Business Bureau is a mission-driven nonprofit that advances marketplace trust. In 2019, Kimberly helped launch Empower by GoDaddy in partnership with Ignite, sparked by BBB, a business accelerator in Phoenix, Arizona that supports small businesses in igniting their growth and scaling their company. As you'll soon find out, Kimberly is a self-confessed data nerd. I love how much information she's able to share around the impact of small businesses, not just on local communities, but on our national economy. In this episode, Kimberly and I talk about glorified entrepreneurship, how Better Business Bureau is equipping small business owners with vital knowledge and resources, and what the organization is doing now to support small businesses impacted by COVID-19. All right, well, let's go ahead and dive in. So let's start off by having you tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. So uh, my name is Kimberly Rowland. I am born and raised here in Phoenix, Arizona, and I attended St. Mary's College in Notre Dame, Indiana for my undergraduate. I studied political science and the humanities. Uh, Right out of college, I worked for Feeding America. So I've always had a passion and heart for the nonprofit sector and serving others. So I worked in in Phoenix at St. Mary's Food Bank absolutely love the mission of what they're doing. And food banks are so essential right now in our country. And they're doing just amazing work that is so dire right now. Uh, But I really desire to have an even stronger impact in the lives of folks who are in need. And I believe firmly that economic opportunity is really the way to help people uh, lift themselves out of poverty and into more sustainable financial futures. So I transitioned over and took a job at Arizona State University where I worked in the entrepreneurship and innovation unit. And I got to work with amazing business owners and entrepreneurs in the community and some student ventures. Um, I attended graduate school there simultaneously. And that's when I really fell in love with working with small business owners and family-run businesses and entrepreneurs. So three years ago, when the opportunity came to me to start a new path at Better Business Bureau, um, I was just totally intrigued because when I first heard Better Business Bureau, I wasn't quite sure of what was going on at the organization. I had heard of it. 
It's a very well-known brand. And when I went and met with our CEO and saw the campus that we have in Phoenix and and the vision for how we can help Main Street entrepreneurs, I was completely sold. So I've been working at BBB the last three years and have never looked back. Um, and we've just done some really incredible work that I'm very proud of to help our entrepreneurs around the Valley, the state of Arizona, and the entire Pacific Southwest. So Better Business Bureau is very well known really as like a traditional organization or the place that people can call in complaints or where they can go to find credible businesses. But there's so much more that you all do and you oversee the entrepreneur programs. So tell me a little bit about the work that you do and specific towards these entrepreneur programs. Absolutely. Great point too, Stacey. So I feel that a lot of times I spend uh, hours of my day just when I'm meeting with community partners, business owners, corporations, the public. That's great to just point that out right out the gates is that we are a nonprofit organization. Lots of times people will confuse us with a government entity because, hey, I mean, we have the word bureau in our title, but we're structured just like a chamber of commerce. And we also have a 501c3 foundation under us. And through our foundation, we do a lot of educational development and we work a lot with youth and the senior population. We give scholarships. Um, And so BBB does a lot of amazing work. Uh, Oftentimes it is that complaint handling that you think of and free consumer work. Uh, But we are doing so much more than that. And that's what uh, my team does on the entrepreneurship and innovation side. So what we're really focused on is working with those business owners who are starting out. We want them to start out ethically, legally. It's in our best interest as an organization as well, because the odds are if we can equip them with resources to legally launch their business and give them best practices, tools, and other resources, um, the odds are that their business will be successful, that they will have happy customers, that they will grow, right? And then hopefully that also decreases the number of complaints that come into our organization. And really the futuristic goal is that we have a team of uh, complaint handlers that process thousands of complaints per month and are on live chat and helping consumers every hour of the day. But maybe in the future, if uh, we're able to, we could convert some of those employees to be working more with the business owners, right? So that's, that's one hypothesis. But what we're doing on my team is we're managing uh, physical events, a physical space. Obviously, a lot of this is on pause right now during the pandemic, but we have places where entrepreneurs, business owners, and organizations can come host meetings, can come and co-work. We built a co-working space in Central Phoenix called Ignite Sparked by BBB, and we're getting ready to open uh, a new chapter of Ignite in our San Diego office. And so we want to help businesses just grow to to be great and to be ethical. And so that is kind of it in a nutshell, but I think we're going to get to talk a little bit more of how we're doing that in specific ways too. Yes. So just tell me a little bit about, um, you know, typically who does BBB serve? Okay. So this is a good question. Um, The Better Business Bureau is a really multifaceted organization. So we serve both businesses and consumers in communities across the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Uh, Me specifically, I work for the Better Business Bureau serving the Pacific Southwest. So we cover the greater Arizona and Southern California region of this country. And we're supported by roughly 20,000 BBB accredited businesses. So that makes us one of the largest BBBs um, internationally and nationwide. And we're also the largest trade association in Arizona. Great. We're going to go into a little bit about, you know, why Main Street businesses and why these small businesses matter. So 
you know, with all the big e-commerce giants out there being so readily available to us now, how do we keep Main Street businesses alive? This is a question that I literally ponder in the middle of the night. I know that sounds cheesy, but I think about it a lot because I think there's some positives and negatives in our culture. Um, one of the positives is like the Shark Tank culture. We, we love Shark Tank. We actually hosted casting call for Shark Tank in our Phoenix office last summer. But I think what it has done to some extent, it's glorified entrepreneurship and a lot of times specifically tech companies. And what we see is oftentimes like the main street entrepreneur, the mom and pop shop, the family run establishment is kind of left behind when it comes to resources and press and even glory. Right. And so I think it's important to keep main street alive. And I'm really happy that in a way, in a weird way, this pandemic has helped people focus on the quote unquote essential businesses. And these are businesses that at Better Business Bureau, we've always known are essential because they're the heart of our membership. And we know that they're the backbone of the American economy. So to answer your question, I think what we're seeing right now is we need to help these Main Street businesses shift online. And so working with um, e-commerce giants and with amazing companies like GoDaddy, we're able to help them become a little bit more nimble and move some of their services or products online into an e-commerce platform. So that's important. That's an important way that we can help them sustain and, and stay alive. And I think another way is to help them iterate with their products. So there's certain types of businesses that will never be e-commerce, right? It's a lot of our Main Street businesses, our plumbers, our landscapers, they can't provide you that service in the mail. They have to come in person, but we can help them iterate that product so at least it's able to be sold online so that they're able to make bids online and really help them automate their business more. So that's another way. And I think a third way is we can really help business owners become a little bit leaner and, and scrappier. And I think we do this through some of the education that we offer at Better Business Bureau is oftentimes the businesses we work with, they are absolute experts in their trade, but lots of times they haven't gone to a, a fancy business school, right? They went to maybe a trade school or they were taught by their family that ran the business before them. So when we can equip business owners with some knowledge and resources around different tenants of business and uh, different business topics, I think it allows them to become a little bit leaner and more resourceful so that they can run their business in challenging times and in kind of amazing, economically robust times. So I think those are some ways we can help keep Main Street alive. So, you know, what do you believe is the impact that Main Street businesses have on the economy, but also the community? There's an amazing impact that Main Street businesses have on our economy. So first of all, um, I did a little bit of research because there's always new numbers being put out by the Small Business Administration, but there's over 30 million small businesses in the United States. And there, when you look at different data, um, it will tell you how many Americans are employed by small businesses. But pretty consistently over the data I've looked at over the last few years, you'll it'll usually indicate that over 99% of um, businesses are firms with under 500 employees. So that's kind of how the SBA will indicate if it's a small business. So 500 employees, that seems like a lot to me, right? When we know the vast majority of small businesses actually are 20 employees or less. But um, a great majority of Americans, no matter how you define small business, be it 20 or under or 500 or under, right? 
majority of Americans are employed by small businesses. So this is a huge impact that they have in the community. It's not just the fact that it's a business that exists for you to shop at. It's also an economic driver and it's keeping you, your your family member, your neighbors employed. So that's really important. I also came across some really interesting data from Oxford University Press, and there's a really cool study that was done in the last few years that actually links communities who have higher um, small business density with lower rates of mortality and chronic disease. So isn't that cool? It really is. You know, we've done our own study at GoDaddy, too, of of that. And when you look at communities that have higher density of ventures, you can see that there's um, a higher median annual income mm-hmm. for that community. And you can really see that prosperity index increasing. So it's it's fascinating to be able to see that in data now. I know. I loved that. And it makes sense, right? Th- those go hand in hand. And I really was interested in seeing the the health and scientific implications of small business. So, you know, you can't understate the impact that Main Street businesses have on the economy. And again, bringing it back to the pandemic that we're all enduring right now, um, it's just very telling to me when you see who is deemed essential. It's people who really in the past may have been forgotten and looked over in our economy. And um, I kind of have a funny story. My dad has always worked in the grocery business his entire career, and he's a real jokester of a guy. He's a good time, uh, really good sense of humor and a lighthearted human. And so at the start of all this, I talked to my dad on the phone and he said, hey, I used to be a zero, but now I'm a hero (laughs) because people need me to get their fresh produce. Right. And so it it made me laugh, but also kind of made me sad, to be honest. Um, That's kind of how he felt like he was viewed in society because he's a grocery store worker. But now he has this new sense of pride because he knows he's helping people access life sustaining food. So I think it's just, you can't, like I said, you can't overstate the importance of Main Street businesses. So I liked what you said earlier and you were talking about sort of that Shark Tank culture and how there is sort of this perception of entrepreneurship. And that comes up in so many conversations that I have with small business owners of if I'm talking to them and I, if I'm calling them an entrepreneur, some of them will say, oh, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm a small business owner. And you have to kind of level set and say, well, what do you think the difference really is? And in their minds, you know, entrepreneurs are these powerful white men who want to make a billion dollars and they are in these high rises. And really, that's not their reality. And so I think, you know, there's been a growing entrepreneur scene in Phoenix. And I'd love for you to describe to me and tell me a little bit about the small business community in Phoenix. Absolutely. And that is such a fascinating um, point that you're making there, Stacey, is we see that a lot, especially with women business owners. Um, that's kind of an interesting thing that there's a lot of universities doing some research around just the nomenclature with entrepreneurship and how it tends to be very male dominated and obviously very tech leaning. But women especially are hesitant to identify as entrepreneurs and more often than not will call themselves small business owners. I geek out over this kind of data. I think it's really interesting. But again, when you take it to the business owner themselves, to them, sometimes it's semantics. I think it's important. Um, And I also think it's important to honor whatever they wish to identify as. But it is telling, right, of that culture. So um, I I could go on and on about that conversation. But to address the small business community in Phoenix, I think we do have a really robust um, small business community 
there's a history of really long-standing family-run businesses in our community, as there are in many large cities across the United States and in small towns. So that's something that's interesting. Um, another point about small businesses in Arizona is last I checked, they employed over a million um, Arizonans. Um, and that was data within the last two years from the Small Business Administration. So small businesses, again, it's not something to bat your eye at. It's quite a large driver of employment. And I know that when people think of um, Phoenix and business, a lot of folks who at least don't live here, they tend to just think we are uh, a destination for call centers, which is really not true. And it's especially not true in the last decade. Uh, the types of businesses we have here are just as varied as anywhere in the country. And we have a really thriving startup scene. And we do have a really strong tech scene that's growing here in Phoenix, which is amazing. And I think a lot of that can be credited to our quality of life and, and the pretty affordable cost of living we have here. Uh, but we have a lot of Main Street businesses that are in hospitality, food and healthcare. Um, of course, we have a lot of business in construction, retail, and we even have manufacturing here in Phoenix. So it's a it's a very diverse business community, and it's it's growing. And I think it's very scrappy too. I, I will say that I think depending on where you go in the country or world, I think the people that live there tend to match the climate, like the physical geographic climate. And I just feel like something about the heat and kind of the severity of like living in the Phoenix desert, it has to translate to your business to some extent too, for one, because in the summertime, it's it's just hostile here and there aren't people visiting. So that forces you to become a pretty scrappy business owner and make a lot of your money in the spring and fall months. But I think that there is some sort of tie there uh, between like the scrappiness and resilience of people who run businesses in Phoenix compared to maybe more like temperate climates. So do you think there are certain standards or norms like that scrappiness that make a successful entrepreneur in the area? Yes, I think that's definitely one. And I mean, that's something you see, of course, in business owners around the country is there is a level of scrappiness and you have to be willing to take risks to start your own business, of course. So there's there's trends that you can identify across the country and world that are common in folks who are entrepreneurs. Another thing that I know we pride ourselves on here in Phoenix is the generosity of our business community. And a lot of that is thanks to the, um, it's hashtag yes, PHX movement. And it's really this community run kind of grassroots um, startup movement. And it really started um, several years ago by several community members. And it truly is not, it's not a company. It's not an organization. It's just kind of this online movement and there's um, occasional in-person meetings. And it started, it was really geared more towards tech entrepreneurs, but it has become very inclusive over the years for all entrepreneurs and business owners. And I also think a standard or norm for successful entrepreneurs here is just being really community focused because we have such a spread out city and there's so much sprawl here. It's important to be embedded in your local town or city. Um, I think that's really something that you need in order to be successful. And that just generous concept, you know, that's something we should just be taking in our own personal lives too. So totally, I like hearing about that. Entrepreneurship is, I feel, especially big now. Like in the last few years, there's been this really big boom. And I feel like every other day there's a new accelerator, an incubator, something popping up to help small business. So, you know, with all of these resources, tell me a little bit about 
the gaps that exist in our current ecosystem and why you saw a need to create the Ignite by BBB co-working space. So I think one gap, it's weird to say that it's a gap, but I think one issue, and you could probably identify this in other communities in the United States, is a duplication of efforts. And sometimes that's to the detriment of like the greater good. Oftentimes it is to the detriment of the greater good of the business community, right? Because if there's already one food incubator program in town, like why create a second one? That's kind of my mentality is why don't we pool our resources and just have one that's excellent? Unless the geography of the space, you know, indicates that you need two or three across the valley. So I think a gap that is in our ecosystem is just kind of coordination of efforts because there's so many great organizations in Phoenix. And again, it's such a massive city. Um, It's hard to wrangle all of the leaders and all the organizations. And we're trying really hard at BBB to become the convener of lots of these important groups that are doing great work so that we don't duplicate efforts um, so that we can really centralize our efforts and make make them stronger when possible. Um, so I think that's, that is kind of a gap or, or challenge we need to overcome in Phoenix. Um, as far as the ecosystem here, you're absolutely right. There's a plethora of incubators, accelerators, and programs. And now there's so many that are online and, and there's some really great quality ones too. But the reason we came together to start the co-working space at BBB was because we saw a need for a physical co-working space that was really inclusive to more Main Street entrepreneurs. We believe that a great majority of the co-working spaces in Phoenix and around the country are really geared towards folks who are remote workers for tech companies or um, have some sort of technology company um, or product that they're building. And so it can be kind of an uncomfortable or even unwelcoming space to someone who is trying to start their own accounting firm or a craft company you know, or someone who's starting their own plumbing business. So that's why we started Ignite is we wanted it to be a really welcoming and relaxed hub where someone could feel welcome at all times, be able to come in. It's just an open floor plan, co-working space. You can't rent um, private offices. It's really just kind of like a large coffee shop, really. And that's the vibe that we wanted in Ignite. And we always knew that we wanted to also have our own incubator that was focused on these same Main Street entrepreneurs because while there are some really great programs in the Phoenix Valley and around the country, again, they tend to be geared towards uh, tech startups or even like kind of the creative class of folks like designers and artists even. And I saw a major gap in resources and services that are consistently made available to these Main Street Um, business owners who are really working in the trades and who are working in businesses that frankly won't be automated anytime soon. Of course, there's like digital advances in these types of companies, but as long as you live in Phoenix, Arizona, you are going to be a pretty successful HVAC uh, business. As long as you're doing business right, Uh, you have a high chance of success and you also have a really high chance of profitability. So that's kind of the impetus behind starting Ignite. And we're proud of it um, because we were the first co-working space in the BBB system. As we were looking to build an incubator for Main Street entrepreneurs, that's when we got connected with you and with GoDaddy. And it was perfect timing for us to launch the Empower by GoDaddy program as our Main Street business incubator. So we're helping these business owners who are so good at what they do. We're helping them fill in their gaps, whether it's around their website Um, their SEO, their design, or it could be around um, legal issues that they may have or questions, um, hiring 
questions that they need assistance with or financial um, tips that they need. So we're really proud to work with GoDaddy on the Empower program. So, you know, COVID-19 is on everyone's mind. This has impacted everyone, but it really has affected small businesses. Tell me about what you and Better Business Bureau are doing to support small businesses who have been affected by COVID-19. Absolutely. I'm really proud to talk with you about our program that we launched just a few weeks ago. It's called Main Street Matters. Um, Again, I know we're talking so much about Main Street, but that really is at the heart of Better Business Bureau. And we believe it's the heart of the American economy, our Main Street businesses. And so when this pandemic was really growing and we knew it was going to become pretty dire, we knew that there was going to be an urgent need to get capital into the hands of entrepreneurs. And we also knew that there were other organizations around Arizona and even the country that were working to get something to the marketplace really quickly. And so kind of going back to my point of I personally and organization just don't really love having a duplication of efforts. We'd rather assist and raise up other programs, which we've done at the onset of the pandemic. Or if we're going to build something from scratch, we want to make sure it's serving a specific gap. So we kind of waited to see what the different cities and maybe other chambers were putting out because there's some amazing resources there. And we saw some gaps, uh, especially around servicing businesses who were not being awarded the Paycheck Protection Program loan from the SBA. Um, And we also saw a gap in businesses that were somewhere between the five and 20 employee sweet spot and businesses who had been in business longer. A lot of times folks think, oh, I need to help that business that's only been around for like six to 12 months. And yes, that is. And we need to help some of these businesses that have been around for a decade or more, right? Because just because they've been around, it doesn't mean they necessarily are sitting on piles of cash. Um, Especially depending on the type of business, they're operating on very thin margins. And so we felt it very important to really kind of prioritize these types of Main Street businesses that in our mind are too important to fail in our community. Um, And so that's how we kind of built the Main Street Matters program. And what it is, is it is a a micro grant of $1,000 for business owners in our service area, uh, the Pacific Southwest, and they can apply. And we're really proud because we have taken the application and we've built something very thorough. And the vetting process, true to BBB standards, is very thorough. And there's about four different steps in the vetting process. But we're, of course, ensuring that businesses are highly ethical, that they meet all of our standards of trust, that they are properly licensed and bonded depending on their industry. So we want to make sure that anyone that gets the cash right is going to be an ethical company first and foremost. We really wanted to build something with the Main Street Matters program that didn't exist in the community so we could service, once again, the folks that we believe may be getting overlooked. And the stories that we're getting through this application program, we have close to 700 applicants now. It's very emotional and you can feel the frustration of the people coming through. One of the things in the Main Street Matters application is we allow people to submit a video and some of them are really hard to watch because this isn't just like a side hustle. This is people's livelihoods. This is the difference between them being able to feed their family that night or pay their employees. And so we know that we're making a difference in the lives of these business owners. And even though it's not a massive amount of money, we're hoping that It gets them through this next month even as um, things in Arizona start to reopen. 
Um, we're really hopeful that it will help. Um, and we're going to be running this program through the end of August because we know there's going to be challenges. It's not just like a magical switch where you turn the light back on and the economy is booming again. Um, we know there's going to be difficult times for the rest of the year, probably into next year. So that's why we wanted to sustainably fund this program through the fall. Um, and the other thing that we are really proud of with the Main Street Matters program is it's more than just a grant program. We're actually doing other wraparound services. Um, so for folks that we might not be able to award the grant to, um, we have lots of different business owners who are so generous that are giving in-kind services or products. And so we're going to get them matched up with the business that's in need. So we have accountants that have um, volunteered to donate uh, five or 10 hours of accounting services for a business for the next quarter. Um, we have folks who are working on certifications for women business owners, and they're going to be donating those services. So we're really proud of the program and we're continuing to grow it. And we're just really grateful for all of the support that we've gotten in the community. That's great. And, you know, what you just said with the wraparound services, I think is so important because we know that businesses succeed when there is that right mix of capital, technical assistance and networks. Mm -hmm. And so it's great to hear how thoughtful that you all are with your approach, making sure that all of those different resources are being provided. So what do you think then that the future of Main Street looks like in a post-COVID-19 world? Ooh, that's a good question. Sounds so apocalyptic. I think <laughs> I think our lives are definitely going to be changed forever. I would certainly hope that all of the hygienic etiquette that we've learned through this will persist in the world and in the business community. But I think beyond that, um, we're definitely going to, for the foreseeable future, see less crowds and probably less of a desire to be going in person. So I think the future of Main Street has to be First of all, that focus on cleanliness. And this is something important. I'm really excited to see some of our bigger like HVAC AC uh, companies or plumbing companies and landscapers in Phoenix. They're putting out um, commercials to the local um, markets. And there was one particular AC company that put a commercial out like two months ago at the start of all this. And they did say, you know, we put booty covers on our feet. We're wearing a mask. We're washing our hands. Our techs are wearing gloves. We're not going to come by you. We're not going to make you sign your invoice. There's lots of really good precautions that I think can make the consumer feel safe and comfortable with making that transaction with the business. So I think that's important. And I think that will probably persist for at least another year. And then I think beyond that, the future of Main Street, there's going to definitely be this push for a component of e-commerce to any and every business. And I think we're already going in that direction, but this has certainly accelerated it like way faster than anyone anticipated. So even your local shops, I think a lot of our local retail shops in Phoenix have done an amazing job quickly pivoting some local boutiques that I, I love to shop from and, and follow. They'll, they've been doing local delivery for the last few months. And if you're within a certain mile radius, it's absolutely, it's free, right? And so I think you're going to see an increase in those types of delivery services or just curbside pickup. But people love to be able to shop online for products. Um, I personally have started for the first time in my life, you know, ordering my groceries online and just driving up to the curb and picking them up. And I was thinking, wow, this is so convenient. And I can't imagine, at least in the summer heat here, ever going back to wanting to go into a store, even when it's safe to do so, more so for just the convenience of it. And like, I can get ice cream now and it won't melt in my car because it's a thousand degrees. So 
it's definitely going to impact the future of business. And it's just forcing people to move online in, in some ways much faster. So do you have a favorite story of an entrepreneur that you've worked with? I have so many stories and so many amazing people that I've gotten to meet during this journey that it's hard to choose just one. But I would have to say my friend Lorenzo, who I met uh, many years ago through the prepped program I mentioned before that we ran at Arizona State University. He was in the first cohort and he runs a food truck called Ni De Aquí Ni De Allá, which means in Spanish, neither here nor there. So um, first of all, the food itself is amazing. So he has an awesome product, a really cool brand. Um, the story behind his brand is as an undocumented person, he never felt like he belonged here in the United States, nor did he feel that he belonged in Mexico. So really a compelling story. And he's just an awesome human being himself. Um, he was on the Carl Hayden High School robotics team. And this is like a very famous team. They went on to beat the MIT team. Uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology team with their underwater robot. And so this guy is actually, um, there is a Hollywood movie and a documentary that he's featured in. So the, the film, I believe, is called Underwater Dreams. And it's literally like him as a kid in the movie. Like there's, you know, there's actors playing him. So it's just like he's got the most amazing story. Um, and I just love the guy. He's Put, puts out a fantastic product and I've just been so happy to work with him over the years. Again, he was a great chef to begin with and he just needed some assistance with um, how to do invoicing online and how to do some marketing and, you know, retain customers and, and bring them back for multiple sales for, with his catering side. So I think working with him, I'm, it's probably one of my favorite stories. Um, I've hired him and uh, had his company cater personal family events. And then I've been fortunate that he was able to come and cater at Phoenix Startup Week this year. And he catered and he actually pitched to the Shark Tank um, producers last summer in Phoenix. So it's been such a joy to see him kind of grow his business. He's increased his sales. He's gotten another truck. And I believe last time I spoke with him, he's getting ready to launch a, a new brand. In addition to the food truck, he's going to be launching a, a new series of trucks. So that to me is why I do what I do. I love to see his success and, and just to stay in touch and have like a friendship form. Really, you couldn't ask for anything better than that. That's amazing. That really is so lovely to hear that growth mm -hmm. and how it is just sometimes it is just a little extra support that's needed and someone can just blossom. That's really great. Mm -hmm. Totally. So this podcast is about sharing the stories of the amazing entrepreneurs we work with, but it's also about sharing the stories of the individuals like you who are helping small businesses um, and building ecosystems to really inspire others to take action. What tips do you have on how individuals can support Main Street businesses? Well, first and foremost, um, you have to put your money where your mouth is. And so I think that folks do this every day, whether they're making a conscious choice or not. But the best way to support Main Street businesses to buy from Main Street businesses, uh, family run businesses, businesses that are local in your community. In my everyday life, I try and support our Main Street businesses as much as I can. Um, I even if you think about it from like a larger perspective, 
You can choose to shop at your local grocery store, your family-run pharmacy. You know, sometimes you do have to go out of your way and occasionally you have to pay a little bit more, but I like being able to keep that money in my economy. um, And I know that it's helping folks that are my neighbors. So I think to the extent that you can, financially supporting Main Street businesses is really important. And then I would say if you feel compelled to do more, there are a lot of great charities out there um, and causes that you can donate to. So if, if, I, if I may do a shameless plug, if you live in the Pacific Southwest and feel so inclined, we are um, running this Main Street Matters program and 100% of the funds that we're raising are going to grants to these small business owners. So if you're interested, you can go to just MainStreetMatters.com. Um, and it's just street with a ST. But if you live again in the Pacific Southwest and you want to do more to help some of these business owners sustain, that would be my shameless plug. That's great. And I want to just build on that a little bit because one of my favorite parts of talking with entrepreneurs is hearing them talk about the one person who was in their corner and the one person who really made an impact in their lives. And, you know, given the amount of all of these business owners you've working with, I imagine you're probably that person for a lot of folks. And, you know, giving to these funds, giving to these organizations are extremely important. But how else do you think individuals can provide support and guidance to those who need it? That's a great question. Um, I think mentorship is key. And I've always been a huge proponent of mentorship. I think that people unfortunately, oftentimes don't see themselves as an expert at something, but everybody is an expert, at least at one thing in life. And what you know can be so valuable if you just are willing to take the time to share it with someone else. And so above and beyond the financial piece, I really think that the best way to provide support and guidance for your fellow business owners, or if you're not a business owner yourself, you know, people you love, um, who run businesses is to help them when you can. And it really is amazing how simple sometimes this can be. If you're really tech savvy, maybe you could help a friend or colleague or business owner who doesn't really understand email marketing or wants to learn how to do some like zaps or automation. Or if you're not tech savvy whatsoever, but you're a really good bookkeeper, maybe you can help someone especially during these confusing times with their taxes. And and some of these things, you know, can apply to just helping one another in life, even even if someone's not a business owner, I just like kind of the whole thought of helping your neighbors, which is always important, but proving to be very important during this time. So I think um, a lot of times people feel like they need to be formally identified as a mentor and formally identified as a mentee. And I, I disagree with that. I think um, it does help sometimes, right? When like organizations like ours, like formally pair people together because there is like some awkwardness and a lot of times people are too humble to ask for help and then again sometimes people are too like embarrassed to think they're an expert but I believe that if everyone could just think of like one thing that they're really good at and share it with another person and and help them learn something that the world in general would be a better place but it could really help business owners especially and I think it's you know just helping people where their gaps are and not expecting a business owner to know everything about everything. It's just not feasible. So I think that's really where people can help is just providing their services or expertise through mentorship. (laughs) 
I'm Kimberly Rowland, Director of Innovation and Entrepreneur Programs at Better Business Bureau, and I made my journey about making the world a better place through business and philanthropy. Kimberly shares insight on how we can all do more to support entrepreneurs and small businesses because, well, in turn, those businesses support us and our communities. We talk of the land of opportunity, but often it is the grit and will of the individual that cracks open the door to opportunity. Join us next week as we continue to talk to the amazing humans who are making their own way. We thank you for all of the great feedback on Made Here. We hope you help us spread the word about our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This podcast is powered by GoDaddy and made with the help of our producers at Human Group Media.